What I always find so interesting when we're speaking to these entrepreneurs or any of the guests is how they rarely bring up something that you haven't seen in some way, shape or form uh, in your office. And I know we've talked in the past when women are entering menopause and that's even when they're at an age where at least there's some likelihood that they can expect it, you know, in their mid to late forties or fifties. And they come in and say to you, am I going crazy? I can't imagine when we hear Polly's story today, what that must have felt like as a 21 year old um, to be surgically induced into menopause and literally having nowhere to go. Do you see, when you see patients who have this experience, do you see, men, how common is it for you to see in your office uh, patients in their 20s and early 30s going into menopause for one medical reason or another? Look, premature menopause, which is defined as menopause that occurs before the age of 40, can occur for various reasons. Sometimes it's because women end up going cancer surgery and they become surgically induced into menopause because their ovaries are removed. Sometimes it's due to radiation or chemotherapy. Nonetheless, over the years, we make preparations to help to maintain fertility, even if that means freezing eggs, and to prepare people for some of the symptoms they may have, whether it's hot flashes, night sweats, or concerns about their sexual lives and their feeling of femininity. These things are really, really big and now spoken about a little bit more. Remember, some women also have autoimmune issues and they may go through a premature menopause. I think what's so difficult about that journey is that the symptoms are sudden and unexpected. It's not like the typical age-related menopause where you may have stories from your mom or your sisters or friends and you're going through it with your cohorts at the same time. And I think what we'll hear today, um, to your point, is how important, regardless of how you enter this space, whether you're as a consumer, a patient, a healthcare practitioner, an entrepreneur, that this idea of community and shared conversation becomes even more important. So we'll look forward to hearing what Polly has to say today. Welcome to the business of the V. Hello, friends and colleagues. I'm Dr. Alyssa Dweck. And I'm Rachel Braunschirl. Each week, we bring you the most fascinating investors, inventors, entrepreneurs, academics, and healthcare practitioners who are making things happen in women's sexual and reproductive health. If you are a woman, know a woman, have a business, or care about your V health and wellness, fasten your seatbelts and listen in to another informative and inspiring episode. We are so excited today to welcome our guest, Polly Rodriguez, CEO and founder of Unbound. I've had the pleasure of knowing Polly and working with her in this space for quite a long time. We're delighted to have you for the first time today on Business of the V. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, there's so many parts of you and to your story, so I just want to jump right in. This podcast, as you know, is really focused on that intersection between patient care unmet needs, unanswered questions, and businesses that are created in response. And you basically are that. You experience that. You build a business around that. Explain a little bit of background. Share your story about how you came to be the founder and how much it was as a, res a result of your personal medical journey. 
Yeah. So, um, like many founders, I experienced a personal problem and, uh, wanted, wanted to do something about it. It wasn't quite that linear, but when I was 21 years old, I was diagnosed with stage three colorectal cancer and went through radiation treatment. And my doctor sat me down and said, you know, the radiation is going to beam the reproductive organs in order to shrink the size of the tumor. And as a result of that, your reproductive organs effectively die. Um, and that was really all they said. They said that, you know, the biggest side effect was the inability to have children, but nobody talked to me about menopause, the side effects that come with that. And also just no one mentioned, you know, quality of life in terms of what does that mean to be a 21 year old going through menopause? And um, I took it upon myself to go shop to try to, you know, I, I Googled what that meant and found out through the internet. And a lot of the things said, you know, once you go through menopause, lubricant kind of becomes your best friend and went to go shopping, go shopping for, for the products and grew up in the Midwest where we didn't have any like cool boutiques or anything. Um, and so I found myself at a really seedy shop next to the airport. And it was just, you know, one of those shopping experiences that, that just sticks with you. Um, and I ended up going on to work for a, a senator in Washington, D.C. And, and management consulting. And then I joined a dating startup. And it was when I was at the dating startup that I started to notice this direct to consumer trend where people were shopping for products from the comfort of their home and buying them online and thought, well, who wouldn't prefer to, you know, browse these products, which at times can be intimidating and overwhelming from the comfort of their home. And that was in 2014. So that I also met you, Rachel, shortly thereafter, but, um, you know, going on year eight and it's been really exciting to see a lot of the progress that has been made and how hopefully the category will go mainstream. Cause I, I don't think that it's anything to be embarrassed or ashamed of. I am still pondering and digesting what you had to go through as such a young woman. You know, I want to defend my profession a little bit and say that oftentimes oncologists and oncologic surgeons are just so focused on cancer, 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 let's cure you. And, and we often forget that there's a person behind that tumor. So uh, kudos to you for, uh, for your, uh, what must have been a very difficult journey and looks like you're doing great. So that's really nice to know. Um, the menopause journey is hard enough for people who have a little bit of a heads up on when they're going to go through it, but surely a premature menopause is not easy. Premature menopause, of course, being menopause before the age of 40, for whatever reason that may be, and uh, chemically induced uh, menopause or radiation induced menopause are surely part of that. Why lubricants and toys? I mean, were these the main things that you were concerned about as opposed to, you know, what the 50-year-old menopausal woman would expect, like the hot flashes and the night sweats and the sleep trouble? It's interesting. There's like the version of me when I was 21 and then the version of me when I started the business when I was in my 30s and I guess I was in my late 20s. But I, think I was going to say, no way were you in your 30s. When you no, I was, like, I was like 28, 29 maybe. But, you know, at the time when I was 21 years old, when you go through something like a cancer diagnosis, you feel like you have no connection with your body. And I think at the time I felt like I wanted to reclaim it. And I think, you know, you go to the internet to Google. I didn't even really know that much about menopause. I didn't know 
a lot of the long, you know, osteoporosis. And so I, I think at the time I really wanted to buy a vibrator because I felt like I wanted to rebel against this notion that my sexuality was dead or like, I wouldn't have any sex drive. And I was like, you know, well, screw that. I'm going to prove them wrong. Um, and so I think that is why I focused on the, that buying those products at the time, I think fast forward all these years later. And one of the things I realized, especially after working in government, which I don't know how I feel about it, but I just see the world this way, which is that if you really want to enact change, a lot of the times the way to do it is through the private market of, 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 because, because through government and public institutions, I mean, I've been trying to get sex ed, been working in different groups to try to get a more holistic version of sex ed approved. And it's impossible. I mean, it is just so hard. And I hate saying that because I believe so deeply in government as an institution that should um, create progress. But I, I think I just felt like if I can, you know, create this kind of edgy venture, hopefully it will move the center. Um, a little bit more. So I think that's ultimately why I focused on it because I felt like if I try to pitch this in a more medical healthcare arena, people will look at me like I'm crazy, which now is changing, which is amazing. I mean, this podcast is a really good example of that. Um, but that's a little bit, I guess, the why behind it. One of the things you mentioned, and this has been for anyone who follows this industry or follows you or follows Unbound, you have really be, been a firebrand um, in this space, whether it's, you know, marching against unfair practices at Facebook, or as you talked about advocating for sex ed in the schools. And I do always like to mention when someone brings that up, because so few people know it, that sex ed isn't required in, you know, 50% of the states in the United States. And in some of the states in which it is mandated, it is not required to be scientifically and technically accurate. When Polly talks about uh, it's used, I said Claire because of Claire and Corbin. So when Polly, when Polly um, talks about advocating for sex ed, it's because it's an enormous unmet need that the companies in the private sector, to Polly's point, are really rising up and serving. Um, so one of the things, you, obviously you said it wasn't as linear. And when you started the business, um, you obviously learned all these things about the disparity between men and women's advertising and fundraising, and no one likes to say the word vagina, apparently, in a venture capital um, setting. What, what has been the most exciting part? Because I know what the frustrating parts are, but what has been the most exciting part of here you are eight years later, your business is growing, you're still standing, you've been fighting City Hall. What keeps you going and so passionate? You know, when I, when I first started this business, I'll never, I, I like dip my toe in the water and I was like, I'm just going to see, I'm going to try it on. I'm going to see how it feels. I'd gotten this like industry report about what a massive opportunity it was. I got my hands on it through like some former consulting colleagues. And I was terrified to tell my mom, like, I was like, she is going to lose her mind when she finds out that this is what I want to do with my career. And she did. She was livid. She didn't talk to me for two weeks. She's like, you're throwing your career in the toilet. You'll never get a job when this fails. Like people will not respect you. And that has changed so much in terms of this industry now is attracting some of the brightest and most creative and diverse founders and team members. And I think that is what is so exciting to me is like for so long, 
I think because of the stigma and shame that was associated with being in the category, people didn't want to work in it. And now that's just been flipped completely on its head. And so just seeing all of the progress in terms of everything from like product innovation and um, there's so many companies that are doing, I mean, like even, I don't know if you know Handy, it's an incredible company that's making beautiful products for, for different able-bodied people and some of the cool stuff that's happening in VR. I mean, it's just the technological innovation and also the people behind it are what inspire me. It's just, it's such a strong community of creators that are so committed to the mission. And I find that just so motivating and amazing because the first trade show I went to, I like wore my business casual. And I remember I showed up and it was, I had to, I was buying other people's products at the time because we didn't have the money to make and sell our own. And the meeting took place down in Miami, Florida. And we had to meet individually one-on-one -on -one in hotel rooms because we weren't allowed to be, we weren't allowed to be in a convention hall or anything like that because we couldn't be seen publicly. And it was just, and it was all men. It was all older men that I met with. And it's just, it's light years different now, which I think is, is, is what motivates me most. Amazing. I'm curious, what do you think is the really distinctive feature of Unbound? So the thing that really caught my eye were some of the glass um, toys that you have, because of course, the first thing that comes to my mind as a gynecologist is, oh my God, I'm going to have to take some woman to the operating room because she's cut herself or something like that. So, and, and actually I've done that before many times. So I'm just curious, what is your distinguishing feature and, and how did those become such uh, cool products in your lineup? Yeah, I think, um, there are a couple things. I would say it's not probably the most exciting, but affordability is really important to us. Um, we don't sell through distributors who, this, it's a really interesting industry in terms of just the dynamics at play. Historically, because of a lot of the financial barriers, you had a really fragmented retail space. We had lots of mom and pop shops that were quite small that were buying mostly from distributors who were selling in large quantities. And so by bypassing the distributors, we're able to still offer body safe products, which also one of the things that's hard about this category is there is no oversight. The FDA does not regulate vibrators. And so, you know, in the same way that I think the tampon industry started to raise awareness around like what's actually in this product, my hope is that this industry will follow. And so for us, it's really just about affordability. The vast majority of products on our site are under $70 without having to compromise on medical grade silicone, you know, non-porous like surfaces for glass, um, and also creating a brand that's just like relatable and, and fun and doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, and then I would say the other thing we do quite well that's a little different is we really we don't do as much of it now because of COVID and social distancing, but um, we focus on fashion forward products. So when Fifty Shades of Grey sold over 128 million copies, all of a sudden BDSM accessories were wildly popular, but everything on the market was just aesthetically not what I felt like millennials and Gen Z and Gen X were really looking for. And so we focused on designing products that you could actually wear on as jewelry on their own, but then also have these dual purposes and can function in other ways. Um, so those are the main things, but I also think it's just about, you know, I think you could ask what makes Nike so distinguished and it's like, well, they're Nike. So I, hopefully that's what we're aspiring for, but 
affordability, body safe, and fun and fashion are, are probably the main components. So here's today's hot flash. There actually is a difference between premature menopause, meaning menopause before the age of 40, and early menopause, which means under the age of 45. Premature menopause happens to about 1% of women. You know, at the risk of doing too much fangirling since I've been watching you um, for so long and cheering you on and have known you from the earliest time you were in this space, you've also done a number of amazing and unique and hard things. So I'd love you to talk about, you know, we just got the chance to speak about this together on a panel last week, how obviously we all know about the disparity between men and women's advertising and there's, you know, you can advertise for Viagra, but not for lubricants. We can go through that for years and years or thousands of examples. But what you did is you took a totally different tack and joined forces with actual competitors to try to make your voices heard. Talk a little bit about that movement and how you made the business decision that in order for the category to move ahead, you needed to partner with your competitors. Yeah, I think, well, what it happened really organically in the beginning, which was I would run into these issues and I was shocked by them where it was like, oh, QuickBooks would email us and say, you can't use us as a payment processor anymore. And I was like, this can't be right. And so I would reach out to other people and who knew somebody who knew somebody who had maybe like a related company and they were kind enough to be like, yeah, let's grab coffee. I'll talk about like how you might be able to get around it. And then I started paying that forward because people started reaching out to me and saying like, oh my gosh, I'm running into these issues. Like, what do I do? And so I realized I was like, instead of doing all these one-to-one -one coffee meetings, why don't we all just get together, talk about what we're dealing with, and then try to figure out a game plan moving forward. Because individually, if you're emailing Facebook or QuickBooks or the bank or whatever you know institution doesn't want to work with you, they don't care. They don't have to listen to you. But if you can create a community and like a you know chorus of voices, you're going to get a little bit more attention. And so I co-founded the Women of Sex Tech in 2015. Originally, it was just like 10 of us. And now it's grown to over 250 founders who share all this information with each other. You know, who's a really good patent lawyer I can use? Who, who knows what payment processors actually won't give us a tough time? Because Rachel, you talk about this a lot and I think it's a great point. There's so much time that is wasted by discovering this on your own. And it's like, if we can share that information and facilitate, even because even if I lose, even if Unbound loses and goes out of business, I want someone else to win. And I think ultimately we all realize that like, we're not competing against each other as much as we are the systems that be, whether it's advertising, banking or venture funding. And so we have a lot more to win by working collaboratively, which is also totally different from the startup playbook that we've seen historically in Silicon Valley, whether it's Uber versus Lyft, or, you know, like we work versus everybody or whatever <laughs> it is, or Twitter versus Snapchat, like, all of that, it's a very like combative, toxic environment of net zero sum of like, I win, you lose. And it's like, that actually we both could kind of win. Um, and, I, and I do think that that is a very femme, non-binary approach to how, to how to run business and do business. You know, I'm wondering, I, based on your story, your personal story, but also you're talking about, you know, younger generations, do you feel like you're really focusing on millennials and younger? who in, in my practice are really using toys and lubes to enhance pleasure rather than for medicinal purpose. 
Um, and the typical menopausal or postmenopausal woman, you know, may be using toys and lubes really for more of a, you know, almost a medicinal purpose or increasing blood flow, increasing comfort. Yeah, I would love to be able to market to create like a brand that is for menopausal women. I think part of the problem is I don't know how to get to that woman. And in the early days, we were like, okay, who can we get to and how can we get to them? The internet and social media. And so we really focused on how do we write content that is capturing the endless amount of Google searches? One out of three Google searches are related to sex in some way. Um, a lot of that is pornography, but a lot of it is, you know, there are five times as many Google searches for painful sex as there are for erectile dysfunction. And so I think there are a lot of millennials and Gen Z that are searching for answers on the internet. And we realized we can get in front of them by writing content that is served on those searches and also through social media. Um, part of the problem of not being able to advertise is like, I don't know how to get in front. I don't like, you know, the 50 year old woman may not be on TikTok where we are. And so how do I reach her and how do I resonate with her? But I do, one of the stats that's really interesting is when we first started in the industry, Adam and Eve, which is massive, massive retailer in the space, released a study that said 88% of all of their customers were couples that were buying these products. 93% of our customers are individuals buying it for themselves, most often to masturbate with. And so I think it's this shift in that it's a redefinition of, of sex and masturbation being included as part of sexual identity, where it's like, it's slowly becoming acceptable to also give yourself orgasms as well as having them, you know, when you're with a partner, which is also one of the trends that I, I really love seeing is that like, we should all figure out what feels good to us so that when we do have partnered sex, we can communicate that in a way that like is helpful and fun. Given your personal story, and I know we had discussions early on when you said, you know, I don't want to stand up every day and share my personal story because it wasn't like a, you know, it was a, a probably a dark time for you being a young woman and having to face this. I'm curious, the, given the fact that you've been so open about it and it is so part of your story and part of the history of Unbound, what kinds of questions, you know, of a medical nature do you get? And I'm not suggesting that you then try to prescribe but I'm just curious to see how that relates to what Alyssa sees in her office. What kind of questions do you get from consumers, given that you've created this very important conversation in an accessible way? Yeah, I mean, we get all sorts of, I think the most common like generic question we get is like, will I get addicted to my vibrator? And I blame that stupid Sex in the City episode where they have to have like an intervention from for Charlotte. Exactly, she didn't want to leave vibrator. her house. <laughs> and she can't leave the house. So we get, we get questions like that, I think. Uh, and we get a lot of questions just about, you know, like a lot of people experience pelvic pain. A lot of people want, I, I think um, the dilator market is a weird one because it's a medical device, but there are also now Kegel products that have some component of pleasure built into them. And so we do have people that will reach out with pain during sex, um, and also a lot of people that experience sexual trauma or assault who want to know, like, what is a good beginner friendly product where I won't feel overwhelmed, but I'm on this, you know, journey to try to reclaim my sexuality. Um, in terms of, in terms of me personally, more often than not, I get other young women who either went through cancer, went through some type of medical condition who 
also went through menopause at a young age who just reach out and say like, thank you so much. I thought it was literally the only, you know, 20 year old, 30 year old, whatever, who went through menopause because it has so much social stigma associated to it. And I just like refuse to accept that. I'm just like, it is a life event that 50% of the world's going to go through. Can we, it's the same thing with periods. It's like, can we just stop? Get over ourselves. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There, there's so many women that reach out that are like, I feel like I'd been turned out to pasture or what or whatever. And I think it's also a lot of people, it's really hard when you're younger because it's also accepting like I biologically won't have my own family. That's really isolating. Um, and so I think it's a lot of people that are just looking and expressing looking for, you know, some some sense of camaraderie and also expressing appreciation for feeling seen. Well, you know, I'm going to chime in and just say that I've seen a huge evolution in practice. So, you know, for young women such as yourself, who really had an early diagnosis of something that you know, really came as such a surprise, we now talk about cryopreservation, saving eggs before treatment goes through. We, we, we give dilators out before uh, menopause really hits so that we are training people to do exercises and maintain patency of the vagina so that they don't have to go through so much pain. But I do want to go back to something that you said about becoming addicted to a vibrator. So, you know, I get this question a lot in my office and, and we now have the buzz term, it's habituation. You know, you're not going to be addicted. It's not like you're going to go through withdrawal if you're not using a vibrator, but you can get habituated. So it's very important to you know, if you have a partner to discuss with them what you like so that there's no competition with the battery operated uh, uh, partner. Um, but, you know, I'm just curious, how do you answer that question when you're, you know, your customers, I'm sure, are reaching out via, via blog or whatnot to, uh, to ask about that? Well, I, I think to go back to the sex ed conversation, one of the things that's really hard is we don't teach pleasure in sex ed. And, you know, the studies that I've read and repeat show that, you know, people who have a labia and have a clitoris, 70% of them need clitoral stimulation in order to orgasm. And for the vast majority of people, traditional missionary penetrative sex, and obviously we're talking in like cis heteronormative terms here, but that doesn't happen often. And I think there's this feeling of guilt of like, well, must my body must just be broken or I, I must not be able to just have sex right, or I must not like it. And I think for us, it's about, you know, doing what feels good. Obviously, you know, if, if you're feeling like you can't have sex without a vibrator, it's about asking yourself kind of why is it, you know, because there's so much research that shows so much of it is mental too. So like stress impacts on arousal and anxiety and performance anxiety for all genders and everybody in between. So I personally don't believe you can get addicted to your vibrator. I also think it's okay if you need a, a vibrator during penetrative sex to climax. That's not something I need lubricant. So, and, and I refuse to feel shamed about that because it's just how my body happens to work. And so I think it's about really just trying to encourage like understanding your body and then understanding, is it a feeling of anxiety or is it just a biological need that you have? Yeah, there's a wonderful article that's standard in the field by Cindy Meston about the zillions of reasons that uh, women want to have sex and the laundry list goes on and on. So you're absolutely right about that. One last question. Do you have like a medical advisory board? Like how do you vet some of not only your products, but some of the um, consumer concerns that you get? Do you have ex experts that you rely on for that? 
We do have experts that we work with. Usually they're licensed, they're either doctors or licensed therapists. It depends on if it's like the mental or the physical. That said, we net we all consult your doctor is like, I mean, we're we're a direct to consume, we're a consumer product company, like we're not a doctor. And so when people do reach out about medical issues, we'll either reference an article that we have written that is written by an actual doctor or expert or qualified individual. We never ever give medical advice. Um, but we do work with a lot of in incredible therapists that are um, ASEC certified and specialized in sexuality. Um, but we don't give medical advice or anything like that because honestly, it's it's a, just too big of a liability. And because that's not that's not our expertise. Uh, for people who don't know, can you describe what or lay out what ASEC stands for? Yeah. So this is the association of therapists that are specially trained in sexual health. So, you know, they're basically sex therapists. These are mental health professionals, whether they're in the psychiatry, psychology, social work, or whatnot fields, and they have expertise in sexual health. So I refer people from my gynecologic practice all the time to an ASEX certified um, provider to manage all of the mental health aspects of their sexual health concerns. So... Yeah, wonderful organization. One of the things that you focused on that is so important in the space and certainly personally important to me and to you and other people who have been, you know, for about lack of a better term, banging their head against the wall fighting City Hall is the, is the language. You know, so if you don't have language, you can't have a discussion. If you don't know what body parts do, you can't have a discussion. If you don't know what feels good, you can't have a discussion. But I found it so interesting. I've seen that Sex in the City. I think everybody who's ever watched that has seen Sex in the City, where literally they might, they thought they'd have to intravenously feed Charlotte because she was never leaving her bedroom with her vibrator. Um, just the way it's described, like you're addicted to your vibrator, addicted never has anything that sounds positive coming after it. You know, what if we just said, wow, I'm a huge fan, you know, <laughs> of a vibrator yeah. and it changes the entire dialogue. But even that language that has become part of, you know, social norms and conversations is not helpful. In fact, it's quite hurtful um, to women and to the business of pleasure. Uh, the other piece that I would mention is, and I reference this article all the time, there was an article um, several years ago on the cover of the New York Times Magazine, but it's unfortunately is still um, accurate today. And they were talking about doing studies for the products that improved arousal desire and, and um, satisfaction, pharmaceutical products. And they were describing how a clinical study works, meaning that you wanna make sure that the thing you're using is the reason that it's changing as opposed to just some random act of chance. And one of these lines has always struck me, which was in these studies for women's sexual desire and arousal, we don't want the products to work too well, lest they be, and I'm using air quotes now, since if you're listening to this on a podcast, sex craze binges of infidelity. And that always struck me. And the reason I bring it up all the time is it, it paints sexual pleasure as a dangerous phenomenon. Like there are rabid women in the streets who, if they know what pleasure is, you know, they're going to, I don't know, climb, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they're worried about them doing. And it just always struck me as so ironic that no one ever said, wow, there are men with four hour erections. Is there panic in the streets? I don't think so. So, you know, I think the work that you do and you really understated so much of the contribution you've made to this conversation and moving this category forward is really making it okay to say the things you do. 
Um, and really, one of the things I remember you said about Unbound in the beginning is you wanted the language and the experience to be fun and accessible. And, you know, that that appears to be true based on your growth and the kinds of um, input that you get. So on behalf of womankind or people with um, labias and clitorises, thank you so much for the work you're doing, for sharing your personal story, for building products and for making some of these things much more mainstream and comfortable. Oh, thank you. That means so much. I appreciate that. Don't forget, subscribe to our podcast at businessofthev.com for the latest trends and trendsetters in women's health and business.